It is Truth Script Tuesday evening. We have three wonderful articles to talk about. Uh, before we do, though, I want to bring to your attention the men's conference, men's uh, retreat slash conference coming up September 21st through 24th. This is the best men's retreat east of the Mississippi. That's what I'm calling it. And I, I think it's true. I, I wouldn't wouldn't steer you wrong on that. Uh, you can ask anyone who was there last year uh, how they enjoyed it. We have people coming from Georgia and Ohio and all kinds of places far away uh, to the beautiful Adirondack Mountains during the peak fall, fall season to see uh, a number of good speakers. We have um, Tom Rush, who's our, our main speaker, and I want to play a video from him. This will give you a preview if you don't know who Tom Rush is uh, on what he'll be talking about and a little bit about who he is. So um, here's the video. And if you want to sign up, overcomingevilconference.com, overcomingevilconference.com. Uh, you can go to the Truth Script website too, and you'll find your way there if you go to conferences. But uh, without further ado, here is Tom Rush. Pastor Tom Rush here. Hope you men are doing well. I just want to uh, thank John Harris for the invitation to be a part of the Overcoming Evil Men's Conference uh, in September. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. I'm from Georgia, grew up in the Atlanta area, graduated Georgia Tech, went through Navy ROTC there, became a surface warfare officer in the Navy, was involved in 1980 in the Iranian hostage crisis. God called me to preach, so I spent uh, 28 years in the military, 21 of that as a chaplain. I had the privilege of being the command chaplain for uh, the Special Operations Command in Afghanistan back in 2004-2005. I also served as a senior pastor in Southern Baptist churches. And uh, just uh, recognizing today a tremendous need that we have uh, for godly men. Uh, for men who will stand for the truth. And uh, we're going to talk uh, in the conference a little bit about leadership, uh, about uh, how to uh, serve the Lord more faithfully, how to be godly men in our homes, our churches, and in the society around us. I'm looking forward to seeing you, and I hope you'll be there. God bless you. Well, there you have it. Uh, that is the Overcoming Evil Men's Conference uh, main speaker, Tom Rush. And uh, we have a, a number of other speakers I'm going to be introducing uh, in the coming weeks. I mean, you don't have much time, so probably the next two weeks. Uh, and uh, you can look forward to that. Uh, the ones that I can't introduce on True Script Tuesday, I'll introduce on my other podcast conversations that matter. Okay, well, let's talk about some of these articles that we have on the True Script website. Uh, the featured one right now actually is one that I wrote, and we decided to not wait. We Usually we would wait till Wednesday because we already ran a piece on Monday, but we, we actually ran two pieces on Monday. And um, and I'm going to start, though, at the beginning. Uh, we we first had an uh, uh, article by Matthew Tarpley, Pastor Matthew Tarpley, who is a uh, Southern Baptist pastor in North Carolina, I believe, and uh I've, I've actually spoken at his church. <laughs> it was a while ago. It was years ago, but I, I do remember that. And um, yeah, he, he's just a great guy. He's a really good writer, too. And he's written a few books on different, like, uh, b they're really devotional style, but they're they're um, also expositional books on, on various books of the Bible. And so his latest one is about First John. So um, he, he used some excerpts from his book, which is called Heirs of Salvation, Simple Studies in First John by Matthew Tarpley. 
he he used uh, some of the information that he studied in that book uh, for this particular article. So it's not that long. Uh, I'm going to go through it with you. And this is an issue that I think a lot of people struggle with, if not, you know, most, most Christians, I would say. I mean, I know I went through a phase really struggling with this. Am I really saved? And so he says one of the most significant figures in church history, Martin Luther, uh, rediscovered the doctrine of justification by faith alone when Christendom was lost in the grips of a works-based religion. God used Luther as the wrecking ball of revival that shook the world back into pure religion. However, one thing commonly forgotten about Martin Luther is his tremendous doubts and inner spiritual turmoil throughout his life. As a Catholic monk, he was so terrified of the wrath of God revealed against the enormity of his sin that he wouldn't even be able to perform the Mass. Even later, as a Protestant figurehead, feelings of despair would plague his conscience until he genuinely thought he would die because God had forsaken him. Luther called these episodes, and man, I'm not going to say this word, uh, Anfechtugen, German word. We can understand this word to mean deep spiritual distress in English. There are times when God may call his children into the valley of the shadow of death, plagued with guilt, wondering if they are even saved at all. It is not just the weak, but the strong. Not just the layman, but even leaders of the church who struggle with assurance. He quotes the 1689 London Baptist Confession that says, True believers may in various ways have the assurance of their salvation shaken, decreased, or temporarily lost. This may happen because they... Now, 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 listen, this is not losing your salvation. This is losing your assurance of salvation. Anyway, uh, this may happen because they neglect to preserve it or fall into some specific sin that wounds their conscience and grieves the spirit. And how many of us have gone through that where you, you do something and you thought, man, I'm a Christian. If I was a real Christian, I wouldn't do that. How come I did that, right? Um, so he, he says that... Uh, Let's see. Uh, in the London Baptist Confession, uh, there are never complete—they—they uh, they are never completely lacking the seed of God, the life of faith, the love of Christ, and the brethren, sincerity of heart or conscience concerning their duty. Out of these graces, through the work of the Spirit, this assurance may at the proper time be revived. In the meantime, they are kept from utter despair through them. And, and then uh, Matthew Tarpley goes on to say, times of testing one's salvation can be among the most painful seasons a Christian can be forced to endure. Yet at the same time, we are called to do so in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove yourselves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. I think Matthew Tarpley might like the King James. It is painful, but it is necessary and even healthy for Christians to look back on their lives with a discerning eye to be sure they are actually saved. Jesus made it clear that many people who call him Lord will be cast into hell. Because of the solemn reality, we must endure the testing of our faith. The book of 1 John is meant to be that scriptural test. Excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. Uh, and, and, you know, 1 John, I, I went through this book, maybe, I'm trying to think now, in a Bible study format, at least once, possibly twice, in a group Bible study. and. I mean, it, it it's interesting because uh, to me, because uh, I've had both these reactions and I've seen people in the groups that I've been in have both of these reactions. There, there's one reaction that says, oh, look at all these tests. Great. Uh, I can I, I can see that there's fruit there. So I am in the faith. Uh, the other reaction is, 
oh, look at these tests. Uh, I'm not perfect. You know, and I think these are both from legitimate Christians. You know, I'm not perfect. I don't have a perfect love for my brothers. I don't. We're going to go through some of them. Uh, I still sin. And I is it habitual? You know, I get maybe it is. I don't know. And, and, and so it, it can sometimes even, depending on how you approach it, create further doubt. And that's not what I want to do. <laughs> that's far from it. Uh, maybe I'll go into a little bit of my own struggles with this and coming to an assurance. But um, but Matthew Tarpley, I think, handles this well. He says, first assurance depends on the true faith in the person of Christ. Christianity's truth does not depend on the success of an individual church, the number of its adherents, or the popularity of its message. The truth of Christianity is established only by the cornerstone of a person named Jesus Christ. That is why John begins his epistle with doctrinal and devotional statements about Christ. He wants us to know the real Jesus and the rest and rest our faith in him. And so he says, many evangelicals form a Christ in their own image. Some worship the social justice Jesus. You know, you wonder why we have Matthew and people like him writing. It's because of this. I mean, Matthew, he, he's not afraid to go there. Um, social justice Jesus who came to bring equity and inclusion. Others praise the relationship Jesus, desperate for you to sing love songs to him because he's so lonely without you. There's also the prosperity Jesus who died to make you happy, wealthy, and healthy. The list goes on and on. However, we must place our faith in the biblical Jesus. Uh, and not an idol. John makes it clear that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, truly human, truly divine, and entirely without sin. And so he goes on uh, more. He quotes First John one uh, about Christ, that which was from the beginning, which which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the Word of Life. The life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And, and so that, that's the first, it's an orthodoxy test first. You know, do you have Christology right? Do you have the, the doctrine of Christ, who he is? Do you, do you understand who Jesus really is? And if you don't understand who Jesus is, well, that's, maybe that's the problem right there. You don't, you're not trusting in the right Jesus. And of course, if you're not trusting the right Jesus, uh, that's not the only thing, but that is one thing that can certainly bring about uh, legitimate uh, doubting. And, uh, and and hopefully that's the thing God uses to promote uh to, to bring you to a knowledge of himself. Second, assurance depends on faith in the works of Christ. So this is the gospel, right? We read that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins and explains what that means, uh, the removal of wrath through a worthy sacrifice. Propitiation is a price that must be paid before God so he can righteously open the floodgates of mercy for sinners. And this is what Christ did. So if you understand what he did for you, uh, that's the gospel. So, so good Christology, good soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. Um, and, and then he says tests of fruit. So, so the first uh, category is tests of faith, and then he, he he breaks it up into tests of fruit. So, once your faith is in the true Christ of Scripture, uh, assurance comes by seeing the biblical fruit. So, these this is where I think because the first two, um, I, I would say those first two categories. Are more for unbelievers. Uh, well, not for there. It's for all of us. But I would say that they are more. Um, if someone's going to stumble over them and have a hard time with them, it's people who probably don't know Christ. I mean, if you have the wrong Jesus, the wrong gospel, then you're not in, right? You're not in Christ. So uh, easily corrected, right? Uh, the right understanding, trust in Christ alone for salvation, and. Uh, and and so you know that that's not the typical 
um, barrier that I see when people look at these tests. It's usually, it comes here because they say, well, I, I know Christ is, I know what the gospel is, but I'm not living the way that I should in light of that knowledge. Once your faith is in the true Christ of scripture, assurance comes by seeing the biblical fruit. First John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. This doesn't mean a Christian is perfect. This is the hard part right here, right? But that a true Christian makes progress in sanctification. Day by day, bit by bit, Christians develop deeper hatred for their sin and love for God. The walk of a Christian's life is different from the rest of the world. Um, and he again cites, he likes to cite the London Baptist Confession. In this war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome. So this is sanctification. This is, are you on that upward trajectory? Again, it's not about perfection. It's about direction, right? Don't despair for lost battles. Continue fighting for the final triumph. It's not the misstep that defines you, but the next step. Uh, Proverbs 24, 16 says, a just man follows seventh times and rises, writh, I can't say it in the King James, riseth. There we go, up again. Now, this is actually a verse that helped me through this because I realized that, that you know, that's really the test is, do you confess? If we confess our sins, First John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive. If you confess, you're right in the, it, it's, it, it's not just about like, I don't sin. The expectation is you will sin, but when you do sin, what do you do with it? So, um, so yes, in general, you have a life of greater obedience, uh, to Christ over the long haul. Uh, you have, um, a life pattern of following him. That does not mean that you're perfect at all. But it, it means that there's a desire there, and that desire does manifest in fruit. And, I, and it might be a little fruit. It might be pathetic fruit, but it's fruit. And then uh, when you do sin, what do you do with it? Do you confess it? And and this isn't, uh, you know, the secret sins that you, you you don't know about, and you're asking God to, to show you, and he's not showing you. And it's, you know, I, I know people who get into these, you know, <laughs> these uh, tight situations over things like uh, suspicions like that. And, and you know... God, God doesn't do that to you, right? God isn't, uh, is not the author of confusion. God is not going to, um, he has your best interest in mind and he wants to uh, draw you to himself. So conclusion, there are just a small handful of many tests of biblical assurance found in first John. Ultimately, there are four types of people in the world. There are those who are lost and know they're lost. There are those who are lost, but think they're saved. There are those who are saved, but sometimes think they're lost. And lastly, there are those who are saved and know they are saved. And First uh, John was written to bring everyone in the first three groups into the fourth. And you know, that's a great way to put it. Even those who doubt their salvation, but they are actually saved. Uh, and typically others can see that fruit. First John is a book. Uh, these things were written so that you may know that you have eternal life. So it is. Uh, it, it can bring that assurance. Okay, well, moving on to the next article. Now for something completely different. This is a Shakespearean truth about man. A Shakespearean truth about man. And this is by uh, Danny Steinmeier, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, who is a board member uh, for Truth Script. So he's uh, he's written before. He actually, it might be that the, I think he still might have the title of the most popular Truth Script article on exegetical preaching. Uh, that really just uh, people people really gravitated towards that article. Um, he's a great writer, and I actually really enjoy reading his stuff. So here's uh, his article, and um, he quotes from Shakespeare's play Hamlet. What a piece of work is man. Now, for those who 
might not remember, or maybe you don't know, Hamlet is a play. It's, a, I think, Shakespeare's longest play. There's several versions of it that have been made into movies with uh, the one I saw years ago was shorter, I think, but it was a Mel Gibson version. So it was like a, a version. It was abridged. Uh, but um, that was like 1990, I think. Uh, so if, if you want to go see a version of Hamlet, I would recommend that one. I, I haven't seen other ones, though. So I, I know there's some other. There's one that's like over four hours long. But it's about a a prince in um, now I'm trying to remember where it was somewhere in like Denmark. I think it's a prince in Denmark. And he basically it's a story. I'm not going to give the whole thing away, but it, it's about avenging the death of his father. Uh, and um, it's a tragedy. So it ends on a tragic note. And it's it's probably the, the most famous tragedy other than, you know, biblical tragedies, for example. So anyway, um, so so he says the wonderful line from William Shakespeare through the character Hamlet draws our thoughts to the wonder of humanity. God's amazing design of mankind is truly a marvel for us to consider as Shakespeare did. As we see from Hamlet, this reflection is is upon both the immaterial and material parts of what makes a human being. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable in action, how like an angel in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. So he's quoting from Hamlet. Man is truly a marvel of God's creation, uh, God's glory in creation. Our ability to think, to reason, to imagine, and our capacity for affection and complex relationships is unrivaled in the world. And our biology is we equal, equally amazing in beauty, expression, and glorious design. You ever stop and think about that? I mean, I, I've had these moments where I just look at my hand and I stare at it and I'm thinking, wow, you know, how complicated this is. How, I, and my brain sends signals and I can just move my fingers and, uh, and my, my fingerprints are unique and just, and it heals itself when it gets cut and it's got these lines in it that uh, palm readers get it, you know, they, they think that it tells the future and of course doesn't do that, but it is unique. To me, where where those lines are, just like my fingerprint. And anyway, um, that that's just one little tiny aspect of, of who I am and who you are. And of course, we we are so far beyond that. It, it just you wonder how anyone can be an atheist. I, I really do wonder that sometimes. It just it, it's amazing to me. I mean, you have to be suppressing the truth. You, you have to be suppressing what you know. Um, as Hamlet reflected on the marvel of human beings, he immediately turned to a sense of disappointment, though, in men and women alike. Why? Because we can also say with a derogatory tone in our voice, what a piece of work is a man. We also marvel at the capacity of humanity to give expression to sin. Unfortunately, that's probably where most of our minds are when we think of people, right? We're thinking of the negative. We're thinking of not the image of God, but more so the sin nature, because uh, it's in our face all the time from the news and, and, and things like that. Uh, he, so he goes into how humans are, are capable of great harm. Uh, he says, we can relate with the great English playwright in Marvel, but also in the words of Hamlet, man delights, not me, no, nor woman either. We are amazingly wonderful and horrendously terrible all at the same time. And of course, th this is such a good thing to think about. And, and I, I'm not accusing anyone. I'm not, uh, taking shots at any particular ministry with this, uh, observation, but I have been in a state of mind where I've been influenced by certain preachers and ministries to constantly focus on just the depravity part of it uh, to the point where I, I think you, you need to doubt like all your natural instincts, which is just ridiculous. Of course, you, Jesus even said 
fathers who are evil will give their son a fish when he asks for one instead of a snake. There are instincts God has given us that are part of his good created order. doesn't mean they can please God in a heavenly sense. Like they can't, uh, their righteous deeds are filthy rags. They don't have the right motivations and so forth. But uh, there is an earthly good that even um, people uh, apart from Christ can accomplish because of the image of God in them, right? Um, that's actually standard, pretty standard reform doctrine up until, well, I mean, from, from what I understand, at least, th- this was maintained by a lot of the, the reformers and the Puritans. They would have they agreed with this uh, and Westminster divines, etc. cetera. Uh, but anyway, uh, I like I just was observing that Danny Steinmeier um, brings these two together and says, look, look at these two things. They seem almost in conflict at times, but uh, this is is who man is. We are currently living through a a time of great chaos and turmoil in our understanding, but we are really, are we really that surprised? Uh, And he talks about postmodernism and he says, Jesus reminds us that we should expect the fruit to be in kind with the tree. The seed of the rebellious unbelief was sown, and what sprouted up was a tree of relativism, truth on a spectrum. It wasn't a denial of the idea of truth, but a questioning of whether truth was knowable, objective, or absolute. And as that tree matured to bud and flower, the fruit that developed is giving expression to that root of unbelief. The rotten fruit has all the flavor of postmodernism with its confusion, contradiction, and blindness to the real world God has made. Uh, if the truth is on a spectrum, then lo and behold, people live out their truth with the marvelous human capacity for imagination and expression of sin. So depressingly, we say, what a piece of work is a man. For Christians, our response must be to lay the axe at the root of the tree that is bearing rotten fruit and to cut it down with the absolute truth of God's word. And so he goes through this uh, th- this making war on sin. Uh, that we need biblical anthropology, b- biblical doctrine of who man is, understanding that when we are in Christ, when we have the word uh, and spirit to lead us into all truth through the word, um, what that means for God's people is that we are led by the spirit into the truth of who we are, who we were made to be and the fruit we were made to bear so that we might glorify our maker. And this is very true too, I think, that, um, so there, like I just mentioned, that we have some instincts that, like for instance, taking care of children, right? That you have. I mean, even non Christians think it's a someone's a psychopath if they don't do that. They don't care for their own kids. Uh, there, there, we take care of our bodies. We, we, you know, we do things that like are instinctual that we can't call those bad things, right? But of course, we we also accomplish a lot of sin. There's a lot of evil desires. We act those out. We hurt other people. We hurt God. Uh, we, or at least we we offend God. And, um, in, in the process of doing that, we lose our way in, in, in such a manner that we actually aren't being true to even this, the, the created self God wants us to be. They were not, we're not in keeping with in harmony with his natural order. And so this is what the second Adam also accomplished was a reconciliation of man to God. But as we proceed through sanctification, mortifying our flesh, we then uh, also are truer men in a way. Not that we weren't men before, but we are uh, more in harmony with the plan that God has for men. And so we are living the way that men were, were made to live, right? Uh, it, I mean, if you use, like, I'm trying to think, like, you know, sometimes 
when I have a toolbox and I'm doing a project and I have a nail or something, and let's say um, there's been times when I haven't had my hammer and I'm like, oh man, so I'm, I'm grabbing other tools to try to nail something or a rock or something because I don't want to walk all the way to the garage to get my hammer. Uh, yeah, tr true story, this has happened. And then you realize you spend more time trying to figure it out using a different tool. But anyway, what is it? Great analogy, John. What does it mean? Well, I think th this is what I'm thinking. Like, um, when we try to live in a way that in the way that men are supposed to live, the way that God created men to live and women, but we don't actually have God's word. We're not restored. We don't have a relationship with Christ. We don't have the Holy Spirit working. We don't have any of access to these things. Then I think what we're we're doing is we are taking that that the incorrect tool. And you know, sure, can we can we accomplish some things here or there? Yeah, I guess, but we're we're it is not we're not functioning the way we're supposed to function. Right. So we're, we're stumbling over ourselves where um, anyway, any time Mario doesn't go into all this. I'm just adding my two cents and my two cents is getting longer than him. But but that I don't know that that's just how I think of it. Like th that's what like man apart from Christ. Of course, there there's a depravity there. There's an evil there. But I, I'm saying even just on a practical level of like living in this world, they're they're doing things wrong. They're just doing things wrong. It's not with the plan. It's not uh, fulfilling or satisfying. It doesn't make sense. Um, it's uh, it, it, it ends up hurting them. It ends up being inefficient. It and it's like every negative attribute, you know. Uh, and 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 they may even have a goal. Like so, some of their goals might even be good. There might even be some good instincts in a way, but their motives are bad. There, the way they're doing it is bad. Like that's and and that's why one of the ways I think that the gospel um, restores people to that, to being on the right track again, the starting place. He says the question made popular recently by Matt Walsh in the documentary, what is a woman in a world hell bent on bending God's created design into a tangled and twisted image. That simply question, that simple question has broken the minds of many. However, even those who correctly answer that a woman is an adult human female are likely to struggle in answering an even more fundamental question. What is man? That is to ask the question, what is mankind? What is a human being? And if you begin to answer that question with unbelief and rebellion against the God and his word, there is no end to the chaos and turmoil. That's true. <clears throat> and that's how we got a lot of the mess we're in now, right? Uh, the abortions, uh, the sexual anarchy. Uh, this starting place for anthropology, the study of man, is faith in the triune God of the Bible. Anselm of Canterbury is credited with the motto, faith-seeking understanding, and Augustine is translated ha as having said, believe that you may understand. Understanding comes from faith, and faith comes from God. Therefore, the starting place for all knowledge, including an understanding of mankind, is to first fear the Lord. This is the root of the problem of the bad tree. It is unbelief. It is faithful faithlessness. It is a lack of fear of the Lord. But to be part of the good tree is to have a proper fear of the Lord. Solomon the wise was a great student of nature and of humanity. He wrote in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So without the fear of the Lord, we have no hope of bearing good fruit in our lives or in cor correcting the world around us. Once we've established the proper starting place of faith and the foundation of God's word, we are then able to study 
who we are from a proper perspective. We can marvel and worship God for his creation, uh, the creation of man in our glorious binary. That's an interesting, I never heard that, a glorious binary. That's a good way to put it. We can know what it means to be a man or a woman with a purpose and mission, but we can also come to grips with our sin nature and how being made new in Christ puts us in the path of sanctification towards restoring God's good design for humanity. Uh, and he goes on and last sentence, uh, we have the truth. Let us study it for ourselves so that we may be well equipped to be what God created us to be. So a uh, good article by Danny Steinmeier, just a reflection. It is interesting to think about these things. Now, here is here's the article. Uh, I, 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 I want to say maybe the more controversial articles we've posted. I don't know. You know, the song um, I, I did a whole podcast on conversations that matter. My other podcast on this particular song. So I don't really want to go into deep detail. I mean, there are some things that I point out that I did not point out in that podcast. Um, one, someone made a comment today that I thought was interesting. They said, isn't it ironic that on the top, at least recently on the top of the Christian charts, there was a song performed by someone who's trans, he thinks they're transgender on, on the Christian music charts. And then, but on number one, number two, number three, like number five, number like seven on iTunes are Anthony Oliver, this guy who at his first concert on Sunday, his first big concert, just quotes the Bible. I mean, nothing like this has happened before where someone has recorded videos on their cell phone, risen so far in popularity in such a short period of time. I mean, beginning of the week, people didn't know him. By the end of the week, he is... He is dominating the iTunes charts, beating Taylor Swift. I mean, that's that, that's pretty fast, right? And and so anyway, I go into um, detail on what who who Anthony Oliver is, at least what we know, what uh, the, the song is about, all of that. Um, I do highlight some of the people who, uh, and I link I, I to, who went after it. So I, I do link to some pastors. I do link to, um, in fact, I saw Reason Magazine again. It came out against it today, and and. Um, and, there, and there's all kinds of different reasons that people are using. Um, in fact, uh, James Lindsay was upset at me this morning because I mentioned his problem with it. And uh, he I mean, he didn't at the end of the day, though, he didn't disagree that I he, he agreed with, with that. I was at least accurately representing his problem with it. Um, but, you know, I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I think there is something that ties these objections to Anthony's. A song rich men north of richmond together and it is this sort of be, and I, I don't i i should probably say this i should quali qualify this i understand people who have objections like well I, there's some bad language in it right things like that um part of me wants to say well sense of proportion what are we what, what kind of evil are we dealing with and that the song's trying to deal with and then you know uh, and, and then being biblical. I mean, I, I don't use profanity. I, I don't think we should, but, um, there are, let's even in the Bible, there are times to use very strong language about things stronger than even Anthony Oliver uses. And it's a matter of using discernment to know when that's appropriate, when it's not, what words are appropriate so that you may give grace to the hearer. Right. And I think, part of my, I, I know I'm taking a tangent here with the language thing, because there's no, so many other probably more meaningful objections here. But, um, but, but I, I just suspect that people in this audience, that's probably one of the things. Um, working, I think in, well, I guess you could say construction, but uh, repair work, you know, in, in shop, shop talk, 
working in that field for years um, got me used to it. Now, did it desensitize me? I don't know, because I still wouldn't, you know, I don't watch entertainment that is chocked full of that stuff, but it definitely, it, it probably changed my perspective. And um, I do think that Anthony's coming from a very working class background. He's also potentially a new Christian uh, who uh, there's an interesting story out there. I don't include it in the article, but I, cause I found out about it afterward that he had promised God that if he would be able to get sober, that he would, you know, uh, basically dedicate his life to him, that kind of thing. And, and here he, and this was, that was like a month ago or something. I mean, this, this guy is like brand new and he's talking about the Lord and stuff, but he's, he's brand new. And so I think this is the time when we pray for him. And, and the verses that come to my mind are like, God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I mean, big Eva, even, you know, the evangelical industrial complex as a whole has failed. Uh, singers have failed. I mean, all our elite institutions have pretty much failed in being able to correctly identify and then not just identify evil, but call it out in the concrete and, uh, and just even honestly let people know, uh, give the impression that they empathize, that they understand. So, um, so, so in walks this guy who is making videos on his cell phone. And, and I just think to myself, this is a guy that had no connections and he, he, I mean, that, that's what I'm thinking. Like may, maybe the Lord, no, I don't, I'm not saying, I don't know, but maybe the Lord is using someone like him to shame the, the strong using the weak. Um, and Anthony seems pretty humble. He seems to, he even said that he doesn't think he has a good voice. He thinks he's not even great at guitar, but, uh, but, but he seems to realize kind of what's going on, that, that it's because of his bravery. It's because of, um, uh, some, he seems to have an understanding that the Lord is some, somehow in this, that that's what's, uh, that's what's going on. So, um, anyway, I kind of derailed myself there, but I was, uh, I think that was, a, that was a helpful rabbit trail. And in my estimation, most critics seem to lack a sense of proportion for how righteously indignant and discouraged many Americans are. I think that's really the bottom line. So many of the objections can just fit into that. Let just, you know, the, the objection that, uh, well, he's painting a negative picture of the United States. Like, well, do you live in some of the places that where, where people really are struggling, especially with the inflation economically and, the, and morally looking at the immoral lifestyle of their leaders and um, and, and just, I mean, all the things he talks about in the song, uh, you know, another objection is that it, this is white supremacy, which of course we knew that was coming, right? Uh, of course, any, anything that is good, the left is going to call white supremacy. And, um, and then, you know, James Lindsay's was kind of an odd one to me, but I, I kind of get it. I think he, he thinks that there's, uh, the, the phenomenon surrounding the song represents a postmodern political power play because it, it it's like, it, it's there's references to the Bible and there's all these cultural references and things. And so it, it's people are gravitating towards it, not because it's true, but because they like the style. They like the, it, it's an appeal to authority, basically, uh, that uh, this is America and and we got the Bible and, and the God on our side kind of thing. And um, I, I obviously disagree with that. I don't like, I don't, I think that's like a, a big stretch in my mind to say that that's, that this is, evidence of some postmodern power play. And I, I think there's actually real people out there who are righteously indignant. And, and so again, even that objection is, it's just failing to have to understand where people are actually at 
in many places in middle America, uh, you know, in outside of the metropolitan and even suburban areas, especially, uh, it, it's different. And, um, yeah, my heart goes out, especially to people in Appalachia and so forth. Anthony's not far from Appalachia. All right. Well, um, anyway, I, I talk about the song, I give just some background and I just encourage people basically to, to, uh, this, I'll just read my final paragraph. For now, most of the rich men north of Richmond who hate Anthony's message cannot publicly say so without implicating themselves. Perhaps the popularity of Anthony's song signals a sea change in public opinion. After years of being marginalized and disregarded, people who care about righteousness are retaking the moral high ground. By God's grace, perhaps the, the Oliver Anthony phenomenon can pave the way for others to keep and hold that p- position. So we need to pray for him. That's the bottom line. As Christians, we need to pray for Oliver Anthony and. We need to, I think, support what we can, and and there there is a lot of good here to support. Uh, it, it is, uh, I just, again, it's just amazing to me that you think of the Christian charts and then compare that to it's just it's he's coming outside the industry. It's he's coming from right outside, and he's saying things uh, like even just reading an imprecatory psalm. I mean, when was the last time you heard your pastor do that? Right, with no qualifications, he just reads it. God's going to make the unrighteous go up and smoke. He's okay just saying that. Uh, that that's, you know, not saying the guy's perfect at all. I'm not saying that there, there couldn't be problems down the road. I, who knows? But I think this is a moment you can at least praise God for that, right? Okay, so um, not as true script Tuesday. Don't forget about the men's conference. Uh, in fact, I'll go to the website here so people can see it. Um. OvercomingEvilConference.com. That's OvercomingEvilConference.com. Website does work. And uh, let me know. I, we already actually had someone uh, this week who reached out and said, I, I can't pay for it. And a generous donor came through and they're, they're coming. So, you know, if this is a, if the price is a barrier, you let me know. Info at TrueScript.com. Info at TrueScript.com. And we'll try to figure something out. But um, there's carpooling there, uh, information. There's information on the speakers and the accommodations and all of that. So any questions, feel free to email me. Uh, God bless. More coming. Bye now. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.